Psalm 21 is a song of past and future victory in battle. We can call it the song of victory. The battle is won in both the past and the future through the power of God. As the superscription states, Psalm 21 is a psalm of David. David went into battle knowing that God would deliver him. In the first half of this psalm, David prayed for victory and was confident that God would answer in the affirmative because he is a God of mercy, grace, and power. In the second half of this psalm, David experiences God's deliverance but also comes to the realization that God's deliverance for him also comes with God's destruction of his enemies. We're going to divide this psalm into two parts. Verses 1 through 7, we're going to see thanksgiving for victories past, and then in verses 8 to 13, thanksgiving for victories promised. Let's begin with verses 1 through 7, thanksgiving for victories past. O Lord, in your strength the king, that's David, will be glad. And in your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. For you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asks life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. The psalmist begins with his joy in God's salvation. The joy of the king is glad exaltation over Yahweh's strength or might, which is revealed in the battle. David rejoices over God's salvation or deliverance from his enemies. Verse 2 shows that this deliverance has been actualized not by horses or swords or shields, but by prayer that unlocks the power of God. David turned the desire of his heart for victory into a bold request to the Lord. And notice that his prayer is audible. He uses his lips. As we think about David's greater descendant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he too knew God's might in deliverance. Jesus was protected in his birth and empowered in his baptism. He lived and ministered under the direction of the Spirit of God. He only did what the Father did, and he always sought to do the will of the Father. And he encourages us to do the same. And so as we abide in him, we abide in the Father. And as we pray in his name, the Father hears and answers, just as he heard and answered David. And as we do mighty works in his name, it is the Son who works in us through prayer. Verse 3 to 4 continues the theme of God's granting the king his heart's desire. The king receives God's perfection or God's goodness. We see he receives also God's kingdom represented by a crown. He receives new life now and forever. And then the psalmist speaks of God meeting with him as the blessings of goodness. Goodness here is the perfection of God's purpose or will. Rather than being met by enemy armies, rather than being met by military disaster, King David was met with a divine purpose. And he declares that his kingdom is secure since he is crowned by the Lord himself. You set a crown upon my head. It is God's kingdom. It's his order. It's his reign. Though manifested through David, 
the king established by him. As well, notice that the crown he gave David was one of pure gold. Gold represents the value and permanence of his kingdom. Since God comes with his perfect will and his sovereign authority to his king, King David, the prayer for life is answered in the affirmative. God gives him length of days forever and ever. Not only is his life assured on the battlefield, but he is assured of his life throughout all eternity. And notice, as the king's heart desire for the God's purpose, for God's kingdom, for God's life is answered, we can also see that all of these themes find their fulfillment in Christ. It is Christ who came to do the perfect will of his Father. He lived under divine necessity. Mark 8.31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. It is Christ, the Messiah, who bears the kingdom of God, the crown of pure gold. Luke 11.20, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is Christ who receives life from the Father and who grants life to us. John 5.26 For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And likewise, Christ reveals to us the will of God and calls us into the kingdom of God and implants us in the life of God. Verse 5 continues the battle theme. It is the salvation or deliverance of God manifest in triumph over his enemies that brings glory to the king. Now this glory, this weight of praise, covers him after conquest. And then God gives to him honor or splendor, which God himself wears as the king of Israel. We see this in Psalm 104, verse 1 and 2. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. And then there's the majesty or dignity, which is worn as a royal robe. It's in these qualities that the king, David, here, shares within the very glory, the very majesty, the very honor of God. This is the fruit of divine salvation. And beyond the immediate victory, there is an enduring relationship with God. He didn't have a relationship just for the moment. He had a relationship for all eternity. As he says in verse 6. He's blessed by God. He's glad. He rejoices with gladness in God's presence. He thanks God, thanks Yahweh for his covenant love, his mercy. And because he trusts in the Lord, he knows that he will not be moved. All that we see here in verses 5 through 7 finds its fulfillment again in Christ. God's salvation or deliverance of humanity through Christ via the defeat of sin, Satan, and death brings glory, honor, and majesty to him as the triumphant king. And so when the high priest asked in Mark 14, 61 and 62, Are you Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus answered, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And moreover, the blessings upon Jesus, he blesses us with. He shares his glory with us. He shares his honor with us. He shares his power with us. Just as God sent David into battle, delivered him from his enemies, and established his kingdom forever, so God sent Jesus, his son, into spiritual battle, delivered him from his enemy, and also established his kingdom. 
And now God, through Christ, is now sending us into spiritual battle. He will deliver us from our spiritual enemies, and he will establish us in his kingdom forever. All of this is the victory accomplished in the past for which we give thanks to God for. Now, verse 8 to 13, we have thanksgiving for the victories promised. Verse 8, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will devour them. Their offspring you will destroy from the earth, their descendants from among the sons of men. Though they intended evil against you and devised a plot, they will not succeed, for you will make them turn their back. You will aim with your bowstring at their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So here's David with the victory behind him. And the victory behind him assures that God's promise is going to be with him forever and ever. The victory was yesterday, but today and tomorrow, he is part of the kingdom of God. His kingdom is established. But yet, the enemy still has not been dealt with. Though from our perspective, God has dealt with the enemy in the past, he will yet be again, they will yet again be dealt with in the future, as we see here in verses 8 to 13. See, the positive triumph that the king has had, at the same time, has a negative effect. If there's a winner, there must be losers. And so is the case here. Not everybody can be a winner. David won, his enemies lost. Winner, loser. And with the positive triumph of the winner, so the negative effects of the losers. And, and, and that effect would be defeat and destruction. God operates through the king. But, I mean, it was David that defeated the enemies. But, the ultimate actor was God. David was merely the tool in God's hands. So ultimately, the victory wasn't accomplished through David. It was accomplished by God. So the psalmist begins here with the assertion that the hand of God will find his enemies. It wasn't David, it was the hand of God. And the symbol of, hand, of the hand denotes action. Notice the parallel phrase, your right hand, which denotes power. So there's power and there's actions. And here the enemies of God, namely those who hate him, are going to be grasped in the right hand of God. He is going to find them. He's going to reach out for them. That's what the word find there means, to reach for them. No enemy is beyond Yahweh's grasp or reach. And when the Lord captures his enemies, they will be the objects of his wrath. He says they'll be burned in fiery ovens. They're going to be consumed, swallowed up, devoured. We have a picture here of, of, of almost of a city burning to the ground, but the fire here symbolizes hell and the lake of fire. It's eternal torment. It is the lake of fire, as Revelation 20 verse 10 says. The fact that this judgment and triumph is complete is indicated in verse 10. The offspring, here literally the, the seed, the fruit, the descendant of the wicked are going to be judged. Because you see, when judgment comes, the future dies. When judgment comes, the future dies. Death destroys fruitfulness for the next generation. When God cuts them off, they're cut off. And there can be nothing more terrible than to be cut off by God. 
Verse 11 states the grounds for this judgment. It's their evil, the misery, the distress, the injury, the wrongdoing. They intended evil against God's people and against their king. The plot of the enemy, however, is unfulfilled because God, before they can execute, God brings the fire of judgment against them. And notice the graphic picture of judgment in verse 12. He causes them to turn their backs. He defeats them in battle as his arrows hit them on the head and drops them to the ground. This is what you call the graphic no of divine judgment. He said yes to David and he said no to David's enemies. God's people are saved and delivered. Those who attack God's people are destroyed. You can't have one truth without the other. And God's no is seen here in the fire of His wrath. This is not near rational anger. It is His moral, just judgment upon those who hate Him, who attack His people, and who intend evil against Him. It says the words of Revelation 14.10, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That was the judgment announced against anyone who capitulates with the Antichrist. This psalm of victory ends on a note of praise to God who brings salvation. We have a final cry to Yahweh and a promise of worship. Again, notice the the call to worship. God brings victory. He brings deliverance to His people. He brings destruction to His enemies. And the response of His people to their deliverance and to the destruction of their enemies is to worship God. Be exalted. Raise up yourself. That is the battle cry to God in the midst of the battle. But it's also a call for God to lift himself up as the object of worship. Isn't it interesting that the same cry to war is also the cry to worship? Israel promises to sing and praise the divine power which overcomes her enemies and brings deliverance. Do you praise God for the deliverance he has given you? First and foremost, the deliverance from death and judgment in hell. The deliverance from the evil one, Satan. The daily deliverance that you and I receive. Do we take the time to praise God, to lift up our voice and shout? Something to think and consider. When you think about God, when you meditate upon God, understand and think about this. That God is a God of yes, And a God of no. When God answers in no, He answers in judgment. When God answers in yes, He answers in redemption. And so as we consider Psalm 21, let us rejoice in the strength of the Lord and praise Him for the victories of the past. Whether it's the victory of your salvation or a victory of deliverance from sin, a deliverance from disease, deliverance from an enemy, whatever the deliverance may be. But God wants us to worship Him. God wants us to praise Him and rehearse those past victories. But at the same time, let's anticipate the future blessings. Let's also be praising God for the victories to come. 
And we know, and we can listen, but you can praise God even though that hasn't happened yet because you know it's going to happen. Because of the victories in the past, you know the victories in the, in the future are going to come. So let's begin anticipating and, uh, and, and praising him now for what he is going to do. And as verse 13 tells us, let us vow, let us make a vow now to God that we will sing and praise the might and power of the Lord. He alone is to be exalted. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. And may that be our prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, as we come to you tonight, we pray that prayer of verse 13. We pray, Lord, that you will be exalted. That, Lord, whether it's on the battlefield or in the boardrooms or in bedrooms, wherever we may be, may you be exalted. Lord, may we sing to you our praise. May we lift up our voice in song and rejoice. Lord, may we open our mouths and praise you for your power, for your might, for your strength. With our lips. Just as David praised, prayed with his lips and praised with his lips, so may we. Lord, so often we're, we're, we're quick to pray and praise in the quietness of our mind. Father, give us a boldness to do it publicly as well. Not to be seen of men, not to pat ourselves on the back and to think, oh, how spiritual someone is. But rather that we would humbly just simply confess what you have done. We don't have to be elaborate. We don't need to get into all the details. We don't have to put out all the, the facts and the information, anything that would puff us up, but to just simply say, thank you, Lord, for X, Y, and Z. Praise you, Lord, for X, Y, and Z. And so, Father, may we with David avow ourselves to sing and praise you for your power, for your strength, for your might. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.